0: There's greatness in you. Let's talk about it. Hey everyone, Dr. Jamil Sayaj here and welcome to the Transformation Starts Today podcast where I interview leaders, champions, and high performers from all walks of life as they share their story, the lessons they've learned along the way, and empowering perspectives to help you create an extraordinary life without regret starting today. Today we have with us Sonia Shelton. When it comes to navigating the ins and outs of business, Sonia Shelton has seen it all. From successful startups with brand new ideas to well-established Fortune 500 companies, Sonia founded Executive Leadership Consulting in 2007 from her passion for partnering with leaders and high achievers to create a clear vision and build work environments where employees are fulfilled and completely committed to their organization's success. She has captured her leadership tips and success stories in her number one Amazon bestselling book, You Are an Executive, But Are You a Leader? Having been an executive as well as an international speaker and consultant, Sonia knows how to tap into lesser known hidden practices that drive true leadership. Her philosophy, background, and experience add a strategic, pragmatic, and multidimensional approach to making strong leaders. Sonia serves on the Forbes Coaches Council and is a certified master corporate executive coach through the Association of Corporate Executive Coaches. Sonia, it's such an honor to have you with us. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. I'm excited for our conversation today.
0: Likewise, likewise. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. Wonderful, wonderful. And so for our listeners, we just dive right in. For you and I, first time meeting, and we got a few minutes before the show to catch up, and I'm already loving you. (laughs) And (laughs) so we'd love love for you to share with our guests. For those who don't know you yet, they haven't heard your story, can you share with us who you are, what led you to this point, some challenges that you went through and overcame, and why you do what you do today?
1: Yes, Absolutely. So I grew up with entrepreneur parents that actually um, their business was office machines, pre-computers, and then in like the first to be selling computers, right, in their industry. And so growing up, I would always hear the hardest business challenges at the dinner table, right? So anything that they couldn't talk about at work usually ended up being about people was talked about at the dinner table and and so i kind of got it a little bit just by listening to the conversations and started to understand leadership and didn't really realize that i was getting you know a master's level education at dinner at the time and swore that i would never ever ever go into business myself like that like i was like seemed so boring and i started my I actually started my um career as a music journalist oh wow and then um then immediately, like every like side job that I had in school, even, you know, working for the magazines I worked for, I was immediately elevated into leadership positions. And so I started to see this trend. And, and as I, as I worked more, you know, leading people, I recognized, you know, that, that I did learn something from my parents growing up. And, um, and so, you know, I fast forward to I the last job I say I'll ever have. I was the head of internal communications for the Walt Disney Company. Oh, wow. And I was there at a time that nobody in my position had ever been through this. And nobody in my in that position will ever be through it again. We had a member of the Disney family, Roy Disney, leading a shareholder revolt against our CEO at the time, Michael Eisner. So here's this company the Walt Disney Company, known for having a tremendous culture. So, you know, seeing the best of the best, Mm -hmm. but being there at a time when it's like a company going through a divorce. And so it was also the worst of the worst, right? And so I had this education, not only seeing the transformation in the company on both sides, but also as a leader myself and kind of being in that environment and how it impacted my own leadership and how I showed up. And I developed tremendous empathy for leaders. Um, and sometimes you know, you know the right thing to do, but because of the environment that you're in, you sort of just take what's given to you and pass it on. And um so I, I recognized that I could make a difference, you know, through the through these insights for leaders, started working at internal at um in my job at the Walt Disney Company, but realized that you can't really impact an organization from the inside when it comes to leadership because of politics and power differentials and things like that. And so I decided to start executive leadership consulting. And now I get to have a bigger impact, not only within companies, but also working with multiple companies in helping leaders understand the importance of leadership, the importance of culture, You know, bringing what I learned at the companies I've worked for, including Disney, of really great cultures and How do they bring that into their organization and not only have a great place to work, but also increase their business results as as a result too?
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. There's so much there to, uh, to unpack and play with. One thing that comes up for me is I think it's a useful place to start. Can you define for us what does it mean to you to be a leader?
1: When people follow you. Yeah. (laughs) Very simply. Right. I I think uh, sometimes, especially in business, we complicate it. Like we, we try to add, you know, all of these dimensions to it and, and it is multidimensional. They're all, you know, it's how, how you're showing up, how you're communicating all these things. But at the end of the day, are people following you or are they not following you? Are they doing, are they doing what you say out of compliance or or are they inspired to fulfill your vision? right um so so that i that's how i would define it
0: yeah it reminds me of um the way you put that john maxwell wrote a book called the five levels of leadership and um i, I probably won't get all five but yeah the idea of in the first level people are following you just because of title <laughs> like i have yeah. to follow you <laughs> but right. at the highest level it's like not only i want to follow you but you inspire me you're making me a better you're making me a leader and so it's a very interesting dynamic of not only Are people following us, but why are they following us? And is there some sense of obligation to do so? Is there some sense of like fear if I don't, or are they inspired to do so? And so I think that definitely flows into what would you say are some of the qualities of a really incredible leader in your experience?
1: Yeah, I would say um, being present, like being with people when you're talking to them, really help having them... um, connecting with them right so not not even what you say but how you're saying it and do you really care about them so when i see in this you know moves a little a little bit in the crossover between leadership and culture they're very yes. intertwined that if if you're creating an environment where people feel like they're contributing and what they're doing matters it has meaning and you care about them they will fulfill your vision beyond even what you thought was possible. Like they'll come, like what you were saying with level five leadership with Maxwell, right? Like not only are they inspired, but they're so inspired that they almost start leading you. They come up with ideas that, oh, well, for this is where we're going. What have we tried that? And, and creating that environment to, to really help people see that that what what they're doing matters and that it has purpose. Um, I would say those those are some of the attributes that I look for in leaders and try to develop in leaders to see that it's not just about the task that you're doing. It's also, also about the relationships that you have.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the, when I think about the people I love to work with, you know, one of the words I, I use is leaders. And I want everyone listening to remember that being a leader is a choice that you make. It's not something that you're born that way or you're not. It's something that, it's a choice that every moment I step into it or I don't. Am I willing to take charge? Am I willing to take responsibility? Probably a better way of putting that. Am I willing to to, to want the best for others? This is assuming you're a good leader, right? (laughs) Am I wanting the best for my people? Am I wanting to put, put them first? Am I willing to elevate them and make them not dependent on me, but make them leaders in and of themselves? And so from that space you know you've worked with so many different people and companies could you share with us what are some of the greatest challenges you often see leaders face
1: I think I think it's been changing over the past few years um I would say the the big the biggest changes that I see leaders facing right now are that we're in a time of uncertainty so we can't really predict we and I, or I used to work with organizations they would do a 5 year plan or a 3 year plan and they've set their goals and they go after them and maybe they get distracted along the way, but ultimately could achieve them. Now we're in a place with the speed of technology, with how fast our world is changing in general. We really don't know where we're going to be in three years. Right. And so leaders are feeling a little bit unmoored from that. Right. So, So how do I, you know, I can set this vision, but how do I really start to, create that path for people towards that vision when I don't really know what's going to happen externally that it's going to impact that. So I think that's a big um challenge that leaders are having right now. And and where I've been working with leaders is just to first of all not lose track of the vision because sometimes with all that uncertainty and distraction, then um, they can get distracted by and, and get off track from their vision. Right. And and so really keeping that vision and purpose at the forefront and um, having areas of focus instead of saying you know every step is planned out from here to there, what are the things that we really need to focus on? Maybe three to five things that we really need to focus on right now to move us in the direction of our vision. And we can be agile as we go. Right? Those having those areas of focus within them, we can be agile as things change. If we need to change the goals, if we need to respond to things that are happening externally, but our areas of focus are areas of focus. And then I would say the second thing that I see really challenging leaders today is um, change and burnout. So I think that not only are leaders experiencing burnout, but their people are, you know, burnout has been increasing exponentially, I think, in the workplace, even pre-COVID, Um it was already starting to increase. And I was, I remember in 2019 doing workshops on resilience and, and, you know, people not taking lunch breaks because they had too much to do. And, and I, and I think there's a lot of, um, you know, P and, and I think it's related to people changing jobs and looking for meaning it has to do with, you know, if I'm going to spend all this time and I'm exhausted all the time and I, I feel like I'm running on a treadmill and we're not getting anywhere, I'm just busy. Right we're not taking the time. And it's not true. You are getting somewhere, but it might not feel like it because you're not taking those times to celebrate the wins along the way. You're not taking the that time to celebrate the accomplishments, even the small wins as you go. Um, so then it feels like you're not getting anywhere. And so I, I think that because things are moving faster, um, people are are not really taking the time to recognize what they're accomplishing on the, on, on the way, because the next thing is already on their plate, mm-hmm. but we really have to be intentional about saying, yeah, oh, look, you know, we did this. We're on track towards our vision and, and here's how we're moving this forward. And I think that, that as so I tell leaders, you know, two, three, three areas that to focus on first, your purpose. Why do you do what you do? and constantly bringing that to the team as a reminder. This is why we're here. This is the difference that you're making. This is the impact that we're making as a team. This is the impact that we're making as a company, really staying focused on your purpose. And then two is driving clarity, right? So those areas of focus, where are we focused? What's most important? Everything else can be put to the side and, and you know not bringing in things that are not moving us in the direction of our vision. Um, And then third is focus, right? To say, you know, what is, what is most important and empowering people to say, I can actually say I'm not going to do that because I can say that's not moving us in the direction we want to go. Maybe that was moving us, our old vision or where we thought we were going to go five years ago, and we're still doing it, allowing employees to question that, right? So is this really going to move us forward and if not, let's not do it because that's going to save us time and help us focus on the things that are most important.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. There's two things that came to mind when you shared that. I'll do it in, re- in reverse order. The um, I remember reading uh, some article years ago, and it was the companies that were ranked uh, like the best places to work. In the, I think it was in the United States. And uh, at the time, Zappos was in the top five or 10. And they would tell these stories about employees that were, they worked there, they were offered by other companies far more money than they were getting at Zappos. And routinely they would turn those offers down because even though they were getting offered more money at that company, they didn't just feel like, you know, a cog in the machine. They didn't feel like a number. They felt like they mattered and that they were meaningfully contributing. And it's like a family, you know, you feel like part of the team. And I think that very often if we're not careful, and this kind of goes with the culture idea, I'd imagine if we're not careful with the way we're putting our business together, how we're leading it, it's like there's that medical, you know, uh, metaphor, keep your fingers on the pulse. <laughs> it's like, you know, are you aware of the pulse of what's going on in your organization and are people feeling fulfillment and contribution and part of the family and all these kind of things? And if they are, they're not going to want to go anywhere and you can keep making it better and better. And it's like your work family becomes as, like almost as close as your real family. But then there's other people that they're just, whenever whenever they're not working, they're bad-mouthing their place, their company, and they can't wait to get out of there. And so that was the first thing that if you wanted to speak about that at all as it relates to culture and how leaders can shift out of that problem and challenge into a solution for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So i um A number of years ago, I wrote a book called You're an Executive, but are you a leader Mm -hmm. for this specific reason, right? Like, and you even mentioned, you know, Maxwell's levels of leadership, which is in the same premise, right? That using your title as an executive to tell people what to do. And because you have this title, you know, maybe you're even a manager supervisor or a team leader, almost new managers um, kind of fall into this faster. Um, If you're telling people what to do, you're going to get compliance, they're going to do the bare minimum. And we even saw, you know, this trend not too long ago about quiet quitting, right? People are just doing what the bare minimum so they don't get fired and the rest of the time they're not engaged, right? And and we don't want those people in our organizations to feel that way. I think sometimes leaders will say, "Oh, well, we don't want those people at all." I don't really believe that. I think that if you tap into somebody's purpose and their motivate their personal purpose and their motivations of what excites them what we call you know your why or your superpower if you understand that about your employees then they will want to overachieve they will want to bring more results they'll get excited about what you're trying to build and how they can contribute to it and what they're bringing to the table um and then on the flip side I think what a lot of people aren't realizing is that especially the younger generations, uh, Gen Z, millennials, you know, they're really, really connected to purpose. And I love that about them. And they, um, so they're not going to take it. Like I think, you know, my age, we took it from, from organizations. You know, if if we didn't have that purpose, they're not going to take it. They're going to say, well, I can do something else. I can go start my own business. I could be an influencer. I can do, you know, a side job um i don't have to take it i i'm i want to be fulfilled at work but they're also doing it in how they buy so as as customers and consumers they're making buying decisions based on a company's purpose so as you know so as a leader if you're focused on purpose you know thinking about that what is our purpose as a company not just internally but how can we promote this externally so that people choose our product or service because of our purpose, right? And then are they are not looking at, am I, you know, are—are are we beating the competition based on cost? But are—it's more about, are we attracting those right people who are aligned with our purpose and our values, and they're choosing us because they're with us on that, right? And—and and that will help you grow your business, and it's also going to help you as a leader really tap into the best customers as well as the best team members.
0: Yeah. What have you found are some of the, as we talk about like the why and how important that is, you know, uh, there's been multiple books and TED talks and all these things over the years about the importance of why. And if you could share with us in your experience, the best ways for a leader to first get in touch with their own why, and then how can they help understand their their the people in their team, like their why, and not just get them on board with, you know, the leader's why, but tune into what's going on in their hearts and in their minds and meeting them where they're at.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um so I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek who wrote the book Start With Why and um and why for us is always the first step. We call it your why connection. And we use this discovery tool, actually it takes about 10 minutes and um it tell it tells you your why, why you do what you do, um how you deliver on that why, so how do you internally process information and then ultimately what others can expect from you so your why, your how and your what. And it was really um, developed based on Simon Sinek's work, right to say, you know we, let's start with why but people have such a hard time finding it and they or they or they think they know what it is but they're not quite right right so so for example, a lot of people will say, you know my why is my family or my why is my faith or because I want to change the world. That's my why, right? And and we call those your your who's and your what's, right? And <laughs> Not necessarily your why. So your why is that internal motivation, what really drives you and makes you feel fulfilled. Um, and the reason that we can't find it is because it lives in the part of the brain that doesn't have language. So we know it, kind of we can kind of know it intrinsically but we can't really describe it because we don't have the language for it. And so what this tool does is is using an, an algorithm asks questions in a way to sort of get under that subconscious mind and um and really bring forth what is it that motivates you. Um and and I think I've seen for myself and for others, like once they, once you have that, your full operating system, why you do what you do, how you do, how you process information and what others can expect. You can start to develop your own personal brand. For me, it's part of our company brand and how we hire people. I talk to them about, you know, about my why connection and, and in the interview, right? Like this is the kind of boss I am and totally understand if that's not a fit for you, right? Like, like it's not, it's not, I'm not everybody's cup of tea, right? So I'm able to have that conversation right up front. And it's, it's made tremendous uh, difference in how we operate as a company, how our clients are working. And then to your point, to the team, right? Once, once the leader has theirs, then every single member of the team can get their individual. Why then you can start to look at who are we as a team, how, where, where can we lean into each other's superpowers and really bring that forward. And if I know that maybe this isn't my strength, but it's yours and I'm working on something where I need that, I can come to you and you leverage your superpower in what I'm working on. And then also to reduce conflict, right? If I understand what motivates you, I might misunderstand some of the things that I see and what's because, you know, your why and your how aren't visible to everybody. But if I understand that about you, I, I might, not misinterpret the the what's behind what you're doing right so i'll give you an example so my how is better way and so i believe so the how i do things is i find better ways and share them so um when i found this out i had this huge aha because i have um, at the time i was married for 25 years and um, my husband w- would always tell me, oh, things have always have to be your way. Every We always have to do things your way. You never like my ideas. And I would say, that's not true. I don't understand why you would say that. That is not true. Right. And then when I when I got this information, I was like, oh, what I was doing was I was taking his idea and automatically thinking about how how could we make it better? And then I would say the better way without acknowledging his idea first. <laughs> right and it totally changed the dynamic of our relationship because i was like oh yeah i'm actually not stop pausing to say yes i like that idea and here's what we could do to make it better and then he also understand that that's how i operate right so so i'll i'm anytime i see something i'm always going to look at how can i make it better and so we can do this with teams as well and have these conversations about how they operate and how that might might be misinterpreted and then ultimately creating the same the same structure for the team, right? So wh- why, why do we exist as a team? How do we operate as a team? And what can others expect from us as a team? So if you're working with a leadership team, they can tell the whole company, this is what you can expect. This is how the leadership team operates at this company, right? And And then ultimately take that even one step further to say, this is how we operate as a company. This is our why, our how, and our what, which we can talk about externally and internally.
0: Yeah, that's such a great answer. And I, I think people should rewind <laughs> and listen to that all again. Uh, two uh, things I'd love to add to that. You know, I found that when we're communicating with our team, first of all, we're recognizing that in order to motivate somebody, it's helpful to understand what already motivates them. So what's the driving force behind somebody's behavior? And that another way of saying that's what's their why. And if we're so caught up as the leader in like, almost like my way or the highway kind of thing. And it's like, this is the way it's happening. This is this is our why, <laughs> like right. we're speaking for them. Then at right. that point, not everyone's gonna be on, on board with that. And if they're not on board with it, it's not a surprise why they're either, you know, not showing up as fully as they could be. They're not fully doing the work. Like you said, they're doing the minimum maybe to not get fired. They seem almost like disinterested. And so if you can meet them where they're at, and I love that you made this point, When you're having a meeting with with one member or a group of people and they give you an idea, if we just, in our mind, acknowledge it, but then just completely like put it to the side and throw our own idea in there, that's gonna make them feel unheard and unseen and maybe disrespected depending on how they take it. But if we can recognize that people are more likely to act out a plan if they played a part in creating it. And so if a plan is co-created, So if I say, hey, Sonia, I'm thinking about this, what do you think? And then you say, I think we should do it this way. And if I genuinely go, all right, that's a good idea. Now in my head, I might say, I can see a reason why not to do that, but I like the idea, I like the thought process, the efforts, I I give some encouragement. Hey, Derek, how about you? What do you think? Now everyone kind of feels like they're chiming in and then we kind of co-create something where even if we don't use somebody's idea, we even get aspects of it maybe. Everybody feels like this is our plan not the boss's plan. And Mm -hmm. then it turns into they're way more likely to be on board with following through with it. Cause it's not, oh yeah, this is what somebody told me to do. This is what we agreed on. And it's it's different.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And and using their why, you can take it even one step further. So not even, not only helping them, having them be part of what's the plan, but using their why and what motivates them to execute the plan right so some people might have one person might have a why of challenging the status quo they like to innovate they like to come up with new ideas so they can be part of the brainstorming and and figuring out how do we do things differently and then you might have somebody else whose why is you know, finding right ways of doing things, creating predictable systems and processes, right? And the and they wouldn't necessarily be good at the brainstorming, but they 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 can talk about how you know how can we execute this in a way that's going to be efficient that everybody understands and and you know create those standard processes. So once you understand what motivates people, you can really leverage what drives them so that they are excited about what they're doing.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a a book called uh, Good to Great. And in mm-hmm. that, book, there's this metaphor of like a bus. And from a anyone who's listening, you're an entrepreneur, business owner, you run a team, you're a manager, whatever you're doing. If there's people that you're responsible for, you're in charge of. From that space, I like this metaphor of first, there's the bus, and the bus represents, let's say, your organization, your team. You want to have the right people on the bus. So are there are there people in the organization that shouldn't be there? Because you're the one driving the bus, and let's say, do they want to go where you're taking them? And so, if you're the leader, you're leading them somewhere. And so, that kind of goes back to what Sonia said in the beginning having some clarity as the leader of your why and where we're headed. And so, you might not, you don't have to have it all figured out. Like you said, the next one, three, five years, who knows what's going to happen. But is the vision clear enough that we can get behind it? And so, from that space, you have the bus idea. Are the right people on the team? There's so many people I've worked with that, similar to yourself, I'd imagine, despite the fact that they might have a a big fancy title, or they might have all these people that are underneath them on a company ladder, let's say, they still potentially have a hard time saying no. They're in like people pleaser mode. They don't want to disappoint because maybe the way they grew up, their conditioning, whatever it is. So very often the right person is not on the bus. You've got people there who no longer belong there. And it's like you said, you have the interview and you tell them, this is how I lead. If that's not for you, that's completely okay. Sometimes though, they made it past the interview, they got the job and now it's been years and it's obvious they're no longer a fit. But keeping them on the bus, that's the person who's like, are we there yet? <laughs> and you're, right. not, you're there. Or they're <laughs> like, can we turn around? And it's like, no, we're going this way. And so that's the first part is, are the right people on the bus? Then it's like, are they in the right seat? And I like it the way, uh, you know, I, I think of it as their zone of genius. And you alluded to this earlier, You know, each of us has a strength are multiple strengths and weaknesses. There's things that we're amazing at and things that we're okay at and things that we're not that good at. And so the things though that are your weaknesses are somebody else's strength. That when you have a team, even if a partnership of two people, but more, like let's say it's more obvious, you, know, you can dive into and utilize the strengths of everybody so things get done more productively and more proficiently. And so are the right people in the right seat? Are they in the area where they can shine? And very often you have the right person, but you have them in the wrong position. And if they're in the wrong position, it's not a surprise. They're not doing great. But also, they might not not want to disappoint, or maybe they don't want to speak up for some reason. So it's like you're not saying anything. They're not saying anything, and the problem is perpetuating. And then the last one is, are they sitting next to the right person? And so this is the person that's like their seatmate. They're going to spend the most time with this person. They're going to speak to this person a lot. Is that the person you want talking to this person? And if the answer is no, using that bus metaphor can be really, really useful when you're thinking about your organization and how you want to kind of, uh, plan it all out. And so I just wanted to offer that as an additional suggestion.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a a big fan of Jim Collins. I think he's fantastic. I, and I, as time has gone on, I have shifted that metaphor of the bus because I kind of realized that how people, and I don't, I know this was not Jim's intention, um, that, how people are interpreting is that I'm driving the bus and everyone just needs to get on board. Mm, yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. So, so I was like, well, what's another metaphor. And then I was thinking a rowing team. Right. So because when everybody's supposed to be rowing together, mm. if somebody isn't on time, right, it can sort of mess up where we're going. We might start to be off course. Right. That's how teams work. Right. Like there can, it just takes one person to start to derail everything, you know, and I've, I've talked to so many leaders where they'll say that we didn't have that right person. And, and when we let them go, everything on the team changed overnight, like having that, that factor removed. And, and now everybody's starting to row together. Like they're, they're not messing us up anymore. We're on, we're all in sync again. Right. And, and um so I, so I think it really is recognizing that it just takes one person and it can be at any level. It doesn't have to be, you know, at a leader level, it can be at any level to really start to create a derailment in where you're trying to go or, or to, to start to create a toxic work environment even right. That it, it um, if you're not willing to make those hard calls, then your whole team suffers. Right. And, and the, and the way that I look at it and I've, you know, I've been a leader a long time. I've had to let people go, right? And is you're actually doing them a service. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you know, if if you struggle with with having somebody move on, um, or having that conversation, it's looking at it like they're they're really not in the right place and they could be somewhere else where they could thrive. And by me not having this conversation, I'm preventing them from doing that. Right. And, and really recognizing that it's not a fit. It doesn't have to be personal, (laughs) right? It's like, it's just not a fit. You know, sometimes the company's moved in a different direction. Sometimes the person is, it just isn't the right fit for the role or the right fit for the, for the company, the culture. And it's okay. Like let it, setting them free to go find the place that is right and opening up the position so that you can find the right fit too. And, And just kind of shifting how you're looking at it to servant leadership perspective right to say i'm i'm actually it it feels terrible that i'm firing this person and it, and they might be upset right and that's completely understandable but i'm actually setting them free to find the right role for themselves
0: yes yeah you know it reminds me of the a uh, question that i love posing to my clients so like, what's the cost of not doing whatever it is you're considering doing very often we focus on If I do this, for example, firing this person, it's uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. But what's the cost of keeping them around? And it reminds me of this uh, you know, it's a story, but it's very, very short. But basically, a CEO and a CFO are having the conversation, and the CEO says to the CFO, Hey, like, put this money into this place because we need to train all these people that we hired. And the CFO says, Well, what if we train them and they leave? And the CEO says, well, what if we don't train them and they stay? (laughs) 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 Are you processing? All right, like you said, this person's being set free. Maybe they're not a good fit here. Yeah, maybe it's going to sting a little bit on the way out for whatever the reason, the way they might interpret it. But six months, a year from now, two years from now, what if they're happier than they've ever been? Because they're in a better role that's better situated to who they are and what they're doing right now. And so, yeah, we're we're absolutely doing a favor if someone is not a fit to release them. And that applies across the board. That applies in all relationships. and so I think that's definitely really important. I also want to just acknowledge you. I love the rowing metaphor. I think that it's a far more um, collaborative metaphor instead of like the, uh, the like the bus driver driving and everyone else is kind of passively sitting in the back. <laughs> the rowing is now everyone's involved, and it reminds me of, you know, I love to hike, and you know, there's a, a story I heard about mountaineering. People who climb like the biggest mountains in the world, they often will say don't spend much time focusing on the peak. Because if you do that, you get discouraged because it's really far away. But if you just focus on your next step, and you focus on taking the step, taking the step, taking the step in front of you, before you know it, you're at the saddle or like the halfway point or wherever you are, you turn around, you see how far you've come. And so in a similar way, let's say you're the leader, and you might not know exactly what the next one, three, five years is going to look like. But knowing your why is like, you know the peak, you may not know the exact path you're going to take. You might realize that um, I've done it before, so we're going that way. And then there was a storm and that path kind of got washed out. So we got to go a different way. But can you can you communicate the why in such a way that there's a level of respect that your people have for you? There's a level of competence that you you know exude. There's a level of love and care that they feel that you have for them, that you have their best interest at heart. And there's a level of like mutual mutual like creation where it's not just like the one person driving the bus, it's everyone coming together saying, we all wanna be on this hike. We all wanna be in the same you know, crew boat. We all wanna be on the same bus. Whatever we metaphor we use, I think if we can have our team on the same page as us and you communicate, I often tell people communication is the root cause of every problem you'll ever have. It's either a lack of communication with yourself or it's a lack of communication with other people. Excuse me. And so whether you do it, you're either, you know, not being truthful with yourself, you're not being truthful, truthful with others, or you're kind of, you know, deluding yourself a little bit in one way or another. But if you can truly communicate in the most loving, respectful way possible, it's a magic what you can shift. And when you have all the right people in that boat, in that bus, whatever metaphor it is on the hike, (laughs) you're going to get where you're going more times than not. And it's going to be a far more enjoyable experience for everybody.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So can you speak Sonia to the right balance between coming up with the strategy and implementing that as well as implementing a culture that just works for you know the good of everybody.
1: Yeah, I think you know there's this famous quote um that culture eats strategy for breakfast and we say they that's actually not true.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because they actually have to have breakfast together. When I see companies bring in too much emphasis on the business strategy, the business results, the financials, the culture suffers. And then when you see companies that focus too much on the culture, the business results um, suffer, right? And and I, I there was a, a few years ago, there were these two TV series that came out around the same time. And one was um, about Uber and one was about WeWork. And I loved that they came out at the same time. And I watched them both basically at the same time um, because they're a perfect example of the extremes, right? So when Uber first started, it was all about competition and business results. And, and I'm sure it was um, dramatized for the TV show, but it was a toxic work environment. It wasn't a great place to work they got, they did really well financially. They grew into a big company. They're still, you know, they still are doing well. Right. But, um, how they got there was at the expense of their people. Mm. And on the other side, we work was all about culture and having parties and having people have a good time and, and be be part of the family and really connect with each other. But they leaned so far over there that they almost killed the business. (laughs) Right? Because they weren't focused on the business results and they didn't have that strong strategy. Right? So, so it's really looking at starting with your purpose, what we call red thread leadership. So starting, starting with your purpose, then taking your purpose and say, okay, if this is our purpose, what's our plan, what's our vision, what's our strategy, what's our goals. And then we take that purpose and plan and run it through everything we do from our processes right are these the right processes do we have the right processes in place based on our purpose and our plan do we have we have the right positions we are talking about the bus the right people on the bus you know in the right seat that's the positions right do do we do we have the right people how do we hire them how do we decide who to promote how are we structured and then the last one is passion which is our culture are people passionate about their job are they passionate about the company and do they trust each other and when you take that purpose and you run that red thread through everything that you do, it connects to your business strategy, but it also builds the culture at the same time.
0: Yeah. There's um this idea of someone goes, uh, would you rather work harder or work smarter? And it's like, why do you have to choose? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, why not both? And then, yeah. and then there's that perspective of, like you said, I see so many, you know, um, at least with coaches, let's say I see so many coaches in the industry who have beautiful hearts and they really want to serve and they really want to you know make this their career and they want to do well. but then they they struggle with doing that. And this applies not just with coaching with pretty much any profession to, if that you're where you're the your own boss kind of thing. Are you also recognizing that you're stepping into being an entrepreneur and not just like an employee because if you just want to do it for the love of it, but not think about the financials and the business side of it. You can't do that and own a business. It's not going to work. Are you willing to do both? And so I think it's so important that that Uber and WeWork distinction because we want to have the culture, of course. We want people to love working there, but the business is first and foremost the business and has to provide a value and has to receive the value and all these kinds of things. Otherwise, won't be in business too much longer.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> going going back to um, what you were talking about made me re- reminded me of a quote from... Simon, Simon Sinek also mm. um where I think there's this idea that if you're working hard that it's miserable right and so so he has this quote that I love he says stress is when we we're working really hard for something we don't care about mm. but when we work when we work hard for something we love that's called passion and that's and that's why we talk about culture rather than engagement we talk about passion Because it's not about everything always being easy and fun. It's about when those obstacles come up, we're so passionate about what we're trying to create and where we're going that we're going to figure out a way through or around those obstacles. Right? So if you think about, um, like even on our lives, like if big changes, like, you know, moving into a new place or getting married or having a baby, these are very stressful events, (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. But we're so excited about what's coming on the other side of it, that we work through all those stresses that come up, because we can see the vision where we know, we know where we're going, we know what life is going to be like on the other side. Um, Or we have this vision of what we think it's going to be like, right. So um, that helps us get through all of those obstacles and challenges that come up in our lives, right? So it's the same thing at work, right? So you're if you're passionate about what you do and about where, where what the company's doing, you'll figure out how to get around those obstacles and and um and get through those stresses that come up as well,
0: yeah. and I, I so appreciate that Simon Sinek quote that you shared because I think I agree. I think that when people hear the words hard work, they have a negative connotation to that. But a a reframe might be something like, so work hard and work smart. Another way of saying it might be, do what it takes to get what you want and find the most effective way to do that. Yeah. (laughs) If you were to do that, like nothing negative about that. It's a do both. Like, why would you just pick one? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Can you speak to the importance of defining what success even is for the company, for yourself? And then how clarifying the vision and what you want out of the work experience maximizes the chance of you even getting it. Well, a lot of people I find don't know what they want.
1: Yes, absolutely. I, I would say that that's the biggest obstacle. If you don't understand your purpose and your vision, then you're going to be tossed around and reactive to everything that's being thrown at you. And And I think at this time we're seeing it more and more because because of the uncertainty and the speed of change that i talked about before we're getting blown around if if you're not clear about where you're going you're going to be blown around all over the place right and and um and it is going to feel like you're not making progress because you're not staying true to who you are and where you want to go um and maybe looking at, you know, to the left and to the right, like, like what are they doing? What are they doing? And what should I be doing? And entrepreneurs are really bad at that, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Myself included, right? Where you really have to stay focused on your purpose, your vision, where you want to go. Can you look at how other people are doing it and get some ideas for best practices? Absolutely. But not comparing what you're doing with what they're doing, really staying authentic to what you're doing. And um, moving that forward, and not letting all those distractions come in. And then to your point, if I think the other mistake that I see is, you know, they maybe they understand their purpose and their vision and their goals and where they want to go, but they're not measuring. So, how do we know if we're making any progress? What what are our KPIs or metrics that we have in place to see how we're doing? To be able to recognize those wins when they happen, um, to be able to catch when we're falling off track and, and what, and being able to take corrective action to get back on track, right? If we're not measuring things, then we don't really know where we are. And, um, and, you know, uh, I'm blanking who, who said the quote, but it was like, what we, what we measure gets done, right? So <laughs> if we're not measuring it, it's not we're we might be making little baby steps in progress, but we're not necessarily going to get done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's so interesting that very often when I am spending time with people and I ask them, you know, what do you want? What would you love? Very often it's almost like conditioning. Their first response is what they don't want and what they and things, whatever you're focusing on, that's all your energy is going towards that. That expands for you. It becomes more prevalent in your life. And if you're focusing on what you don't want, you're going to get more of what you don't want. And so there's this perspective that I love, this idea that. When you don't know what you want, when you don't know where you're going, every distraction feels like an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so it's this shiny object syndrome where you're chained, you're chasing all the things that look good, but because you don't know like what you really want, you're robbing potentially great to get good. You're settling for less than what you could have. And so the foundation of this podcast, of why it exists, is to help people create an extraordinary life without regret. And if people were asking you, Sonia, how do you recommend they do that? What would you share with them?
1: I would say really understand yourself. What and, and what motivates you? And like you were saying, what you want. And um, as you were as you were talking just now, I I remembered a client that I had. She moved, she was an executive. She had a C suite role, and she moved into another role in the company. Not because she wanted it, but because she thought everybody else that 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 was the next step for her. Like everybody else wanted that for her, and of course she should want it. And and she did well in the role, but I could see that she wasn't happy. And I just asked the question, "Well, do you even want this job?" Yeah. <laughs> right? And she was like, "Well, I should want it." It's mm, not what I asked, right? <laughs> so. So I think sometimes we can get not only that bright, shiny object syndrome, but that programming that you were talking about before about, oh, this is the next step. I should want this kind of job. I should want that kind of money. I should want to live in this kind of area, whatever that comes from that programming. That if you don't, if you're not really clear about yourself and who you are and, and what you really want, then you might be living someone else's dream for you. Yeah and um and so to to really be aware and take that time i i had a, a friend she posted this on social media today like since it said put down your phone and spend the next hour that you would have spent scrolling writing down what you want right and i just thought that was so beautiful because we don't take the time to do that, right? And, and really understanding, getting cleared down to the details, what it is that we want. Um, and it could be you know, as a company, it could be as an individual, just really getting clear about who am I and what do I want my life to look like?
0: Something that you shared. Um, so the word should, it's a very interesting word because when somebody says like, I, I should want this job, I should want this life, I should want this. To me, at least the implication is I should want that dot, 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 but I don't. Right. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and that's usually what's unspoken. And we just say, I should want that. So we go after it. But if we slow down and check in with yourself, like Sonia's saying, what do you really want for you? Like not for anybody else. You're the one who's looking yourself in the mirror when you wake up and when you go to bed, you're the one who's saying, is this the life that I dreamed of living? Or am I so far off point that I can't even recognize who the person is in the mirror? And the good news is that every moment is a second chance. Every moment is a new opportunity to shift and to change into the life that you could be living. But I often tell people, the present moment is always pregnant with the next moment. And if you want a better future, you have to create a better now. That's the only way that future is born. And so get clear for yourself, what do I really want? And I love that idea. Just like put the scrolling away for the 10, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it was, and just sit with paper and pen or type it out or whatever. What would I love? I often ask people, what would I love instead of what do you want? Because to me, what do you want might have an aspect of the should, or it might have an aspect of, or or, uh, not what would I want rather? What would I like? So what would I like is like what I think I can have, what I think is, um, what's the reasonable, you know, things of that nature, you know, that makes sense, it's doable, you know, most people would agree. But what would i love? That could be the moonshot goal. That could be the thing that's so massive that maybe you even gave up on it a while ago because you thought it was unattainable, but someone's going to do it, why not you? And so from that space, what would you love? And then that your whole life could change as a result of you taking time to listen to this conversation today. Because if you know, that maybe you have that C sweet, sweet job. Maybe you're making a good amount of money. Maybe you, in some respects, you're happy with your life. But in other respects, if you feel like you're kind of dying inside, that's something to do about that. And only you can change that.
1: Yeah, and I think, I think sometimes we get caught up in, well, what will other people think if I do that, right? But they don't have to live your life, <laughs> right? <laughs> so so mean- they're not... They're not in here. They're not, li- you know, they're not living your body. They're not living what your life is like. Who cares what they think? Really let that, let that go and just step forward to what's going to make you happy and
0: and joyful. Yeah. And just to piggyback on that, it goes with what you said earlier. You know, you're, you're about to fire somebody and tell them kind of uncomfortable, but then you think, you know what? I'm actually freeing this person. So you, you're you turning it into a positive. In that same way, here you are thinking about doing something that feels so in alignment with your soul's purpose, with your heart, with what you really want. But then the thought comes up, what are other people going to think about it? Or what if they're going to be inspired because they're also wearing a mask and living a lie? And here I am representing the possibility of what they could do for themselves. (laughs) So why not think like that? And it's like, you know, there's a, if we're going to live our life based on other people's expectations, it's going to lead to a life of regret. And those other people, again, they're not the, I, I remember growing up, you know, family members would always say to me certain things, but it's some idea of like, you know, you're caring about what that person thinks about you, but like, are they paying your bills? Are they the one taking that test for you? Are they the one doing this? And like, no, like other people's, I think it's Benjamin Franklin, but someone like other people's opinion of you is none of your business. (laughs) You can let that go and just focus on value your opinion of you. It doesn't mean, you know, keep the fingers in the ears and not listen. It's good to get feedback. That's how you grow. That's how you learn. But other people's opinion of you is an opinion. It's not a fact. That's just how it's occurring for them. And in, in the book, the uh, the four agreements, Don Miguel Ruiz, he said one of the agreements is don't take anything personally because nothing anybody else ever says or does is because of you. It's always because of them. And if we can recognize that and internalize it, okay, you feel this way about my decision. Okay. You're saying I don't recommend you do that. But I might want to think to myself, well, what kind of life do you have? And do I want the life that you have? Because the decisions that you've made led to the life you have. Also, you know, do you have my best interest in heart? Depending on the person, they may or they may not. Is And I've had people in my life who had my best interest in heart from their perspective, and they had so much love in what they were saying, and they were advising me to go against what I felt was my soul's purpose. And so I still followed my heart and did what I knew I had to do, And then when I became successful with it, those were the people that were like bragging to everybody, telling them, look at this. (laughs) And it's like, you know, follow your heart. Because again, there's that expression. A lot of like random quotes are coming to mind right now. There's that expression, something to the extent of um, 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things that you did. And that's only like half of the quote, but you get the point. When we come from that space of, I'd rather have the story of, wow, you know, I really gave it everything I had for 40 years to try to make this dream happen. And it didn't happen, but I, boy, like no one can say, it cause I didn't try. Like I gave it everything and it didn't work out, but what a fun experience. I like definitely learned and grew versus 40 years. of you had the quote unquote safe job that was kind of like draining your soul. <laughs> and then at the other side of it, you're 80, 90 years old, looking back going, I wonder if I could have pulled that thing off. You're not going to have any regret if you follow what you know is true for you. It doesn't mean it's always easy. It doesn't mean there's not going to be challenges and roadblocks and stumbles along the way, part of life. But it's a lot easier when you're doing it because you want to do it. than you're stumbling and other people are telling you to keep going, but you don't want to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it happened to me, right? When I imagine I'm an executive at the Walt Disney Company and I said, I'm going to go start my own business. And people were like, what? What? (laughs) but you work for this amazing company and you have this great job. Uh Uh-huh. And I think I can make a bigger impact if I don't, that doesn't make any sense. And, you know, and people were afraid for me. Right. And, and, you know, like you said, they have that you're, they think that it's your best interest in mind. Right. And, and they're trying to protect you and they're seeing all the, all the obstacles that might happen and, and all the heartbreak that might happen. And they're trying to save you from that. But I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, be able to make the impact that I'm making, which is part of my why, if I had stayed in that job, right? So, so I'm grateful for it. I learned a ton there. And then it was time to move on. But if I had listened to other people, I would still be there, right? So, um, so it is recognizing that, yes, yeah, so, you know, and like you said, then they're, they're later on saying, oh, that was such a good move, right? <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> so, I'm Imagining your co-workers are like, but you work in the happiest place on earth. You know, exactly. The- <laughs> <laughs> like why would you leave the other thing to consider for everyone no matter what profession industry that you're a part of or you want to be a part of when you think of the people who are the best the top one two three percent in your industry the reason why they're at that level is because they don't do things the way that the rest of the people do them and most of the time depending on like your inner circle what i call it the people you spend the most time with but most of the time your inner circle is probably not in that top one or two two or 3%, at least in the beginning when you're just getting started or working your way up, but you want to be there. So mentally, you're like, I'm already there and I'm going to do everything it takes to get there. But when you're around people that just using the number framework I'm, I'm using here are in that like 40 to 80th kind of percentile and you want to be like one, two, and 3%, there's going to be points where you run you run up against their mental barriers. You run up to the thing they don't let themselves do because that's too risky in their mind. That's scary. That's uncomfortable. But then when you start to do it, it's almost like on the one hand, if it's a good intention, it's like you said, Hey, like I'm I'm worried about you. Like, why would you do that? But it's really, because it's they know like they wouldn't do that and their fears are coming up. And on the other side, sometimes they actually want to do what you're doing, but if, because they're afraid, they're uncomfortable, you're representing what they could be doing that they're not doing. And sometimes there's that um, metaphor of the law, lo- I think it's lobsters, but there's, there's a couple of different animals that do this, but you put a bucket and you have all the lobsters in there. If one of them tries to climb out, the rest of them pull them back down. And so in that same way, that happens as well. And so that's why I think it's important to, as well as we can, can you judge the intention of the person and see, is this person coming from a good place? They mean well, which again, still could be, I wouldn't do that and I would do my thing anyway, but I appreciate you know your love and concern for me. And sometimes it's more of a fear response of if you do that, that's a wake up call to me that I'm playing small and I should be living bigger and I haven't been. So why don't you just like not rock the boat and stay safe so that we can all just keep living this way.
1: Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: So, so if our conversation, Sonia, today was the last opportunity you had to speak to our listeners, if your message that you were about to share was the last thing you could say to them. What would you want to make sure you left them with?
1: I would say that's a great question, by the way. Um, I would say really focus on being present in your life because what is happening, like this conversation with you, we might have other conversations in the future, but it's not going to be this conversation, Mm -hmm. right? If you're spending time, you know, we get, I think get so distracted and, Bounce around from thing to thing, and moving so fast that sometimes we're missing our lives, and we're missing those moments, right? And um, I was reading a book. We're both avid readers. I was reading a book the other day, um, by Benjamin Hardy, where he was saying, you know, this point that he got home and his little girl wanted to play, and he had you know things that he needed to do. He was like, ah, not right now. And then he remembered. Imagine 20 years from now, would I wish I had this moment back? She's 23. Would I wish I have spent this time with her? Right. And that really hit me. And as a good example of really just being present for your life and to the point of your show, not having those regrets um, because you didn't miss anything. You were there for all of it.
0: Yeah, it's such a beautiful um, response and is so on point, you know, with, with the show and our conversation, you know, oftentimes I think we fall into this mental trap, of we focus on, let's say the big thing, the big success, the greatness, not realizing that big, you know, it's all relative, obviously big and small, they don't really exist. It's only in contract in, you know, in relation to something else. So if we realize that greatness in and of itself doesn't exist, there's no big thing. There's a series of small things done well over time, consistently, and if you do that, you've mastered, let's say, the fundamentals enough that compared to other people, what you've built, what you've create, is substantial. Somebody people talk about Warren Buffett and they talk about his investing, and I don't remember off top of my off top of my head how old he is, but let's say he's like 88. Let's just say, the guy's been compounding since he was like 11. <laughs> so when you keep that in mind it makes more sense that it's like you do the right thing for a long enough period of time it works but if we focus on the moment you're getting into the micro versus just the macro and that's the idea of the mountaineering thing too the macro is where we're headed it's good to know that have a direction but the micro is the day to day the moment to moment how do I want to spend this moment right now and because I said earlier the present moment is always pregnant with the next moment if I want a beautiful future, The best way to experience that is create a beautiful present. Mm -hmm. If my present moment is filled with stress and anxiety and worry, that's what my future will be. And so if I can take this moment and slow down, like Sonia's suggesting, and say, you know what? Zoom out for a second. Yeah, maybe right now I'm frustrated. I'm flustered. I just got back from work in this person's example. Maybe my kid wants to play or my partner wants to talk or whatever it is, and I'm not in the headspace for it. Well, maybe excuse yourself for a few minutes and it might behoove you to get in the headspace for it because you might wanna say, does this really matter to me? Is this person somebody that's one of like my, my core people? Am I gonna regret this moment if I let it go in the future? And if we can slow down and just love the moment that you're in. I just had a, cl- a client session two hours ago, right before this call, where um, we were talking about creating inner peace. And this experience of this person's an awesome businesswoman and she's working her butt off and she's creating all this magic in the world but there's still moments of, you know, all the frustration and the anger and the inner peace isn't where she wants it to be. And it's kind of elusive. And it's like, well, why? Well, because you always think it's out there and you always think you're going to get it someday. But we just said the present moment is what creates the future. So if you don't get it now, you're not going to get it later. It doesn't exist anywhere other than now, but when you've got this expectation, that's got to look different than it is, or you have a resistance to the way life is unfolding then you're not going to have this peaceful experience. And so in this example, I love that because, you know, I am not a parent, but this idea that if I have a three-year-old, the kid's only three once, you know, from a year perspective, the kid's only three mm-hmm. once. And when the kid is eight, 10, 12, you know, I've heard people say, oh, you know, this is my kid. Great. And yeah, sometimes, you know, he or she's annoying. I can't wait till they're like in school. Or then I can't wait till they're a teenager. I can't wait till they're in college. I can't wait till they get married. I can- It's always, I can't wait until, and it's always postponing whatever excitement that you're looking for to later. And then what if we play with the idea that later doesn't exist? And if we play with the idea that if I ask, I said this in um, the podcast that you'd mentioned that you'd listened to prior to us recording, what if we play with the idea that if I ask you the question, how much time do you have left? We all have the same answer, which is, I don't know. And if, because you know the answer is, I don't know, And just like you said, most people, let's say they don't know what they want and they haven't taken time to just sit and write it down. Most people don't. They know it intellectually that they don't know how much time they have left, but they haven't really thought about that either ever or in a long time. It's not until we experience either the death of a loved one or our own mortality because we have like a near death experience or something that it becomes so front and center that it's hard to ignore. But most of the time, that's not our life experience. And so we are not realizing I don't know how much time I have left. What if this was the last opportunity I had to play with my three-year-old and I just turned it down for some reason that in hindsight, I'm going to think is pretty stupid. You know, I often ask my uh, my clients, what if this was the last time? Whatever it is you're about to do, what if this was the last time? If this was the last time you were going to make love with your partner, would you rush it? If this was the last time you were going to eat a meal, would you savor every bite or you try to just get through it as fast as possible because you got you got to go somewhere? You know, if this was the last time you got to watch a sunset, would you want it to last a little bit longer? Or w- w- or when your phone buzzed because you got a notification on Facebook, would you go look at it? Like the things that are actually important to you become very obvious when you think about your life from that perspective. And I think if we can slow down and combine what Sonia's saying and what I'm saying, it's a recipe not only to be an amazing leader in your life, in your family, in your business, and whatever, with your team, but for yourself. Like before you can lead others, you got to lead yourself.
1: Yes, absolutely. well said. I love that.
0: Thank you. thank you, thank you. And so as we begin to wrap up, could you share with us what is the biggest decision that you've made or risk that you've taken that you're deeply grateful for and why?
1: Mm, how do I narrow it down to one?
0: <laughs> Feel free to share two or three.
1: <laughs> you know I th- I think I think I'll talk about it rather than in terms of specifics in terms of the general and that is um trusting myself right so so when i when i have that inspiration to do something to take that leap even if it seems crazy even if you know i don't see how even if um you know i could everything i could lose everything as a result if it doesn't go well and doing it anyway um i think that that throughout my life i've taken those risks right to to um from the very beginning of my first career, everybody thought there's no way you're ever going to do that for a living. And I reached all my life goals by the time I was 23 to, to even, you know, starting executive leadership consulting to now, you know, to, to looking at where we're taking the company next. Right. And, and, um, kind of shifting what we're doing and going in new directions and whenever we're trying to do something new, um, there is that that point of risk and and challenge that comes up with it and I think it's you know uh trusting yourself that you wouldn't have this dream if it wasn't possible no. and so um that's kind of been my my motto throughout life that that if if I if I can uh I think it's a quote right that if you can dream it you can be it right and um got Walt Disney <laughs> oh is it <laughs> course right. um so so yeah so I think it it is um it is really recognizing that that if it's if it's pulling you if it's in your heart um there's a reason for that like if if we if even the things we're afraid of you know I, th- I think that um uh an insight that I had when I when I started this company was there were things, times when I was terrified and then I was like oh that's just energy. like if this didn't matter, I wouldn't feel I wouldn't have any I wouldn't feel anything right so that so the more scared I am, the more it matters. and so, um, so I would say, you know that's you know looking at the at risks in that way that is is a pattern that's been consistent throughout my life
0: i I love that too that reframe. you know, the more afraid I am, the more scared I am, the more it matters, the more important it is to me mm-hmm. it's like If you were, if you didn't care, if you weren't invested, you wouldn't have an emotional response. And play with that idea that, wow, this must be really important to me. I have to do this. (laughs) It's like, that's a whole different way of living. You know, it's something you said that I I, I so appreciate. You know, I've told people this too. It's so important. If you're feeling called to something, let's play with the idea, the possibility that you're being called to it for a reason, because there's millions or billions of people that are not called to it. And why why, why you? And why are they called to this thing and you're not? Like, you know, There's certain charities maybe that really resonate with your heart that you want to contribute to. You want to make a difference in the world for this kind of people, whether it's a charity or whether it's a customer or whatever it is. But there's other people who could care less about serving that, that population. But they've got people that they really want to serve. It would make sense to me that if we all had the exact same passion or the exact same idea, a lot wouldn't happen in the world. <laughs> and we all have our thing. And so just that idea that go after what your heart's calling you towards, it has a way of working out. And it's funny, like a side note, but it it works with that. It has a way of working out. Right when we started our call, for those of us who are on YouTube, uh, watching this on YouTube, the video of it, over Sonia's head, there's a sign that says ELC. And my first thought was, I wonder what that stands for. And then you said executive leadership coaching like 30 seconds ago, and you've said it throughout the podcast, but it just hit. I was like, oh, yeah, that's what that is. So It all works out. You know, the loop closes. yeah yeah and so could you please share with us what are you working on or towards now that's exciting you
1: um we are really focused on red thread leadership and helping organizations um and people find their purpose and connect that through everything that they do um so that they can be passionate about the work that they do
0: awesome awesome and so two things actually wanted to ask you this before and i wasn't i forgot to um you mentioned that tool, it's like a, a few minute assessment people can take. How can they find that?
1: Yeah, so they can take it at whyconnection.com. Um, you can sign right up there. You'll, you'll get an email right after that. You can p- take the discovery and you get your results emailed to you. And then you have an opportunity to have a session with me or one of our coaches to say, okay, so now that you understand your why, your how, and your what, how do you apply this to your life and um, and really bring it to life?
0: Fantastic. And so uh, the question I'm about to ask might be the same answer, but how can our listeners best connect with you? And if they want to work with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to, whether it's an individual, if it's corporate, whatever that is, what's the best way to connect with you?
1: Yeah. So if you want to learn more about ELC, um, you can go to executiveleader.com. We have hundreds of blog articles and free resources about leadership on their videos and and master classes and things that you can take um, all for free to to get to know us and and learn more about leadership and then if you want to connect with me personally the best place is on LinkedIn I'm on LinkedIn regularly I post things there all the time and and um, always connected to the people that are following me there so that's a great place to reach out to me personally.
0: Perfect. I'll have all the links to that as well as to your book in the show notes. And for everyone, for all of our listeners, first of all, thank you so much for being with us today. If you enjoyed our conversation, please share it far and wide. I know there's somebody, at least one person that you know, who would really benefit from hearing this discussion today. I think it'll really turn their life around. And if it did it for you, please leave a review wherever you're tuning in. It goes a long way to helping the algorithm, but also helps other people check out the show and say, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. And you never know how that could turn their life around. I was telling, uh, sharing with Sonia before our conversation got recorded, I did an episode on a, on a friend of mine's podcast and a, and a client of mine's podcast, and we were talking about entrepreneurship and depression. And when you're in a real low, what you can do to shift out of that. And I had somebody reach out to me after it was posted saying he had never been so close to suicide. And then he watched that podcast and it really helped him. And so that's the example of you never know what other people are going through. And if this resonated with you and you leave that review, you share it with one or more people, that can turn their whole life around. So please, please do that. And thank you again for taking the time. Uh, Sonia, anything you'd like to say before we wrap up?
1: Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I had a great time and our conversation. I really
0: loved it. Thank you so much. And thank you for taking the time, for A, to be here and to share the wisdom and your amazingness. <laughs> you, you shine bright on video. And I can tell just from your heart and what you share that everyone who works with you is so fortunate to do so. Thank you. Yeah. And so I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you know, my life's purpose is to help leaders, champions, and high performers to experience more happiness, peace, and fulfillment as they create an extraordinary life without regret. If I can support you in any way, whether it's one-on-one coaching, whether it's you want to keep you, know, wherever you're here in the podcast, there's plenty of more episodes to dive into of phenomenal conversations. I implore you to check those out, but listen to this podcast more than once. I jokingly told, I think it was Sonia, if not, it was somebody else today. Yeah, I've listened to pretty much every podcast episode on my own show, 10 to 50 times. <laughs> I get so much from these. And if you listen to it once and you go, that was nice. It's different if you listen to it once, listen to it again, take some notes, you hear things the second, third, fourth time that you didn't hear the first time. One of my mentors, I was listening to his podcast almost on repeat, essentially, for a month. And I it was maybe two hours long. I'm listening to it on like 2X. And I got through that thing 30 times, 40 times, no exaggeration. And towards the last time I heard it, I heard something for the first time. And I said... Was that always there? And I was like, wow, (laughs) it was impactful because you're always going to be in a different place. The more you grow, the more you learn, you hear it. And it's like, it's like you're hearing it for the first time. If something's not as relevant, your brain tunes it out. And so I implore you, listen to this more than once. Um, Again, if I can support you in any way, I'd love to have a conversation. You can book that at jamaelsayage.com. That'll be in the show notes as well. And I've been posting content on social media since 2014, videos, blogs, things you can just dive into. Usually they're a minute or so in length. And you can get some transformation that'll help you right now to create the life that you want. You can find all that on Instagram at Dr. Jamil Sayaj, DR, and then my name. Facebook and LinkedIn is just Jamil Sayaj. I'll have that in the show notes as well. Yeah, I call the podcast Transformation Starts Today because I find that most people's favorite day to change their life is tomorrow. And that's why they stay stuck. But you can be different. You can apply what we talked about today and you can truly change your life for the better. Remembering you want a better future, you need to create a better now. Sending you all so much love and looking forward to the next time we see each other. Take care. Thank you for being with us today. If this conversation served you, it would mean a lot if you left a review and shared this with anyone who may benefit. An Extraordinary Life Without Regret is available to you now. Choose it. It's your time.